The New Zealand Symphony Orchestra is the country's only touring orchestra and one of the world's oldest, playing to delighted audiences since 1946. But over 70 years, the sector has grown significantly, and there are now five orchestras, all receiving government funding. This Radio New Zealand Insight program asks, will they all survive in the future? Earlier this year, a review of the orchestral sector by the Ministry for Culture and Heritage was released. It was described as the most thorough and comprehensive in 40 years. It attracted over 2,000 submissions, but some critics say it hit a flat note, providing no clear direction as to how the struggling sector can survive and find a solution to ongoing financial pressures. There were no increases in funding for the flagship New Zealand Symphony Orchestra, but neither is the money being slashed. I don't see how they can survive without that level of funding. Orchestras are not commercial institutions, never have been. We are dealing with a premier brand producing music that is at least the equivalent standard of the Sydney Symphony and the Melbourne Symphony. I absolutely love the NZSO. It really performs at a very, very high level. The other full time orchestra, the Auckland Philharmonia, was awarded a new status, Metropolitan Orchestra, but no extra funding. The other three orchestras were told to pick up their game in the small towns the New Zealand Symphony Orchestra was no longer required to visit. I'm Nick Butcher, and this insight investigates the future and relevance of the country's five orchestras. There was plenty of relief throughout the arts sector when the Arts, Culture and Heritage Minister Christopher Finlayson made it clear disbanding the almost 70 year old New Zealand Symphony Orchestra would be unthinkable. Keeping the wheels of the country's only national and international touring orchestra turning isn't cheap, but the government has made it clear that $13.45 million is the absolute limit. The NZSO's chief executive, Chris Blake, says what's important is the orchestra has a future. The initial reaction was delight that the NZSO's role had been reaffirmed as the, as the country's national orchestra, and I think that was a, a really important outcome for us. The other four orchestras are funded separately by Creative New Zealand and also received no extra funding. Like the NZSO, the Auckland Philharmonia, established in 1980, is also a full time orchestra, but only receives $2.1 million in funding. The chief executive, Barbara Glasser, believes that money has reached its practical limit, and the new status of Metropolitan Orchestra is worthy of more funding. I sincerely hope so. After the review came out, the minister came and talked to the board and staff and players of the orchestra, and to quote him, he, he said, A new title without new funding is meaningless, it's just fluff. So we do believe he's a man of his word. 
How we can unlock that additional funding is something that we have yet to work through with CNZ and potentially the Ministry and work out actually what that's going to mean and over what time frame. The other three orchestras are made up of part-time and contracted musicians, with Christchurch Symphony Orchestra getting $750,000, Orchestra Wellington $365,000 and Southern Sinfonia $315,000 in annual funding. The NZSO is one of the world's oldest orchestras, founded in 1946 after the Second World War. The Dominion Post music critic John Button says the review provides no answers to the pressures being faced by the sector. Well, it might have been the most comprehensive, but it didn't live up to a great deal in my view. We've ended up at the end of the day with the status quo more or less intact. Nothing really changed? Not really. Some minor adjustments to some funding for the NZSO, which won't occur for sort of about 2015. And those sort of adjustments to the funding to the NZSO had occurred before. We can think back to the early 90s under Ruth Richardson where there were cuts made. But he's adamant the country does need five orchestras. Given the curious shape of this country we have, if we were shaped more like Holland, no, we wouldn't. One orchestra could service population centres very easily from, from a central point. But New Zealand, no. We're long and narrow. We cover longitudinally. We cover a lot of distance. Under legislation, the 90-strong NZSO is the country's touring orchestra, able to play to an international standard. Its revenue of $13.45 million from the government will stay the same until the end of 2014, with a view to reducing it by 5% to 70% from 2015. Chris Blake says its funding has stayed the same for five years. The drop-off in spending power has been about $1.4 million. By the end of 2015, it'll be up to about $2.2 million. So that's a measure of the additional funding that the NZSO has had to generate through a mixture of cost savings and, and extra income uh, generation. The NZSO is hovering around in, in the range from uh, the, the government contribution being between 70 and 75%. Uh, it varies from year to year depending on touring patterns and so on. So it's not as though the orchestra hasn't got itself into that position. Now, there is criticism of the, by international sort of measures, the high high level of subsidy, but all of that commentary fails to take account of our touring obligations. Between 2006 and 2011, 70% of NZSO concerts were performed in centres with populations over 110,000 people and 80% in towns with over 50,000 people. Half the NZSO's concerts in any one year are typically performed in Wellington and Auckland. The review's recommendation is for the NZSO to no longer tour areas with populations below 50,000. The NZSO chair, Donald Best, says compared with this year's touring schedule, Westport, Blenheim, Nelson, Timaru, Oamaru, Tiano, Balclutha and Gore will miss out. Some of those you've mentioned haven't got the halls anyway for the full NZSO. So, and, and I think the rationale behind all that is, particularly as far as the South Island is concerned, it does open up more opportunities also for uh, the Christchurch Symphony Orchestra. It could reasonably serve some of those centres, and as, as of a size that could be accommodated in the, in the various venues in the smaller towns. But perhaps the general public and, and the fans of the NZSO, you know, would you agree they may be you know, slightly irked by this because, as we've alluded to, the NZSO is New Zealand's orchestra, New Zealand's touring orchestra. There has been a little bit of negative comment. I think there were a few comments came out of Blenheim. But um, we can't go everywhere. That's the reality of it. 
In the North Island, Whakatane and Kerikeri are likely victims of the recommendation. The Arts, Culture and Heritage Minister Christopher Finlayson says people will travel to see visiting international artists and the NZSO is at that level. If they're performing in Christchurch then it should be possible for the good folk of Timaru to get to see them. From time to time I imagine the NZSO is going to split into uh, smaller components and I can't say I've got too much of a problem with that. Long-time fans of the NZSO in Nelson were unimpressed with a possible no-show by the orchestra in the future. Annette and Michael Monty say they've spent a fortune flying to the main centres to see and hear the NZSO. I'm sadly shocked, but the second thought is not unsurprised. Their visits to places like Nelson and similar sized cities have been minimal over the years. We're getting our first visit this year in perhaps eight years. They used to be called the National Orchestra. They still effectively are the National Orchestra. And to me, that means coming to smaller centres in the way that Chamber Music New Zealand, which is a much, much smaller operation, I appreciate, does come to every centre. Michael Monty, who is recovering from a stroke, says they're going to the magnificent Mozart concert in Nelson, but he's not sure how much of the New Zealand Symphony Orchestra they'll see after that. I'd like to be able to withdraw my assistance for my contribution to the National Orchestra through my taxes. In theory, if they're a national organisation, they should be visiting the local areas. It seems a shame that, that, that I have to go to Wellington or Christchurch to see them. The Christchurch Symphony Orchestra has had its own unique problems. Both of its regular venues, the Town Hall and the Cathedral, are unusable following the earthquakes, leaving it nowhere to perform. Its regular venue is now the Air Force Museum in Wigram. The orchestra's acting general manager, Gretchen LaRoche, says if the Christchurch Orchestra is to play in areas usually visited by the National Orchestra, then perhaps the review's rebranding of Christchurch to a city orchestra wasn't well thought out. To be absolutely honest, we're a bit disappointed with that because we didn't really feel that it captures the work that the Christchurch Symphony Orchestra does currently and nor the work that uh, we believe we'll be doing in the future. We've had a very strong regional presence around the South Island for many years now. Uh, that's on the West Coast, South Canterbury, North Canterbury and down in Southland. And so we actually felt that defining us as a city orchestra perhaps downgraded that a little bit. The Ministry argues there is inconsistent collaboration and coordination between the orchestras. In Dunedin, where the Southern Symphonia is based, the General Manager Philippa Harris says that will need to change, particularly as the NZSO is not required to tour smaller areas. There are a lot of centres in the south of the South Island which um, fall below that um, 50,000 mark. I immediately think of Queenstown, Wanaka, Omaru. Yes, it does provide opportunities for the Southern Symphonia to tour to those centres. Because do you normally tour to those centres often or is it really not often enough? Our touring to those regional centres is infrequent at best and part of that is the funding that's required. Unfortunately, orchestras are expensive beasts to run.
city orchestras all say that making up the shortfall in areas the NZSO won't be playing will require financial support from local government in towns and districts. The Ministry recommends that the New Zealand Symphony Orchestra continues to play in Auckland and that it collaborate with the Auckland Philharmonia Orchestra. Yet submissions from Auckland supporters suggest the NZSO could travel less often to the country's largest city. Barbara Glasser explains the Auckland sentiment. Probably what's sitting behind those comments is really just people would like to see the APO supported more through government funding. The passion that people demonstrated through that review process for the APO and for its place in Auckland was what was driving a lot of those comments. The New Zealand Symphony Orchestra chair, Donald Best, isn't irked by such opinions, which he believes do not represent all of Auckland. That was unkind of them really, wasn't it? If you look at the concert going public in Auckland, we've got a very strong body of support in Auckland, as have the, the APO. So I think if, if the government had suggested that the NZSO stay out of Auckland. I don't think that would have gone down very well, frankly. And why shouldn't Auckland have the benefit of having choice and the ability to, to have the experiences of, of hearing two orchestras? If the NZSO is to be a truly national orchestra, it certainly must embrace the Auckland market. That is also an incredibly important aspect in terms of, of securing sponsorship from national companies. You think there's a little resentment there from Auckland? $2.1 million in funding from Creative New Zealand versus 13.45 from the Ministry of Arts, Culture and Heritage? I think the short answer to that is yes. In recent years, orchestra audience numbers worldwide have been in decline, leading to the collapse or bankruptcy for classical groups such as the Philadelphia Orchestra in 2012. Andrew Joyce is the section principal cellist and one of several overseas musicians in the NZSO. He says in London there are five full-time orchestras, so there's plenty of room in the Auckland market for concerts performed by the National Orchestra. We don't need to be fighting each other, actually. We should all be supporting each other. And I think that was the thrust of the review, actually. There's a lot of details around the edge, but the main thing was about all the orchestras working together. So many orchestras folding all around the world. Holland has just lost its probably 10th orchestra in, in the last 12 months. The Netherlands Radio Philharmonic has just folded. One of the biggest orchestras in the country, a government-funded institution. We're very fortunate here to not be in that position at the moment. The government has shown at least some support into the future and we need to build on that. And the best way to do that, I think, is to be work together as, as a whole sector. All of the country's five orchestras are involved in community work aimed at inspiring young musicians to shoot for a position in one of the orchestras. But the review calls for the NZSO to steer away from community work, raising the profile of classical music and possibly growing future audiences, and to focus its resources more on supporting the training and development of young and emerging musicians. The NZSO National Youth Orchestra has been playing for 54 years. 19-year-old Louis van der Mispel is the principal double bass player and says being tutored or playing with the NZSO helps put some shine on a performance. Absolutely, especially having Hiroshi Kamatsu there. He's phenomenal. And actually the whole section is a fantastic section and they're really quite friendly. I get, I've gotten quite a bit of 
time to spend with them for the NYO, of course. They, they kind of, a couple of them come in and tutor for that, um, but also for this fellowship program, which is another one of the NZSO's sort of educational programs that they do. Um, I've allowed, been allowed to play in the section for a couple of the rehearsals. The last one that we did was the, uh, the Alga for Symphony concert, and I was sort of sitting at the back of the section, and they were just playing through these ridiculous passages, which are just outrageous, just, you know, as though it was just a piece of cake. And, <laughs> and I was just going... Oh my, you know, if one day I could sort of be able to sit here and I just, you know, I was thinking, I know, I can, if I can work and get towards this point, that's definitely something I could, I could see myself doing. The Auckland Philharmonia's Barbara Glasser argues that in 1946, the country's population was 1.78 million, with 250,000 people living in Auckland whereas now one and a half million people live there. The APO gets $2.25 million from ratepayers, but wanted an additional $3 million in Creative New Zealand funding, which it didn't get. So, is the Philharmonia worth more money? And was it fair and reasonable to want another $3 million from the government? An arts critic for the Listener magazine, Rod Biss, thinks so, saying the review gave it a token new name, Metropolitan, but stops short of any meaningful recognition. The APO provides, to be honest, a much more adventurous repertoire, and I like that. But if some structure had been found which made the, those two orchestras more equal, perhaps the NZSO could have done quite a bit less travelling. Maybe the APO could have taken on some travelling. And what I would have liked to see was that when the NZSO travelled, it was for a special event. However, music critic John Button views the two orchestras differently. I'm not sure whether Auckland would want to see less of the NDSO. I think the Auckland Philharmonia might. The thing is, however, the NDSO is a true international quality orchestra. Now, I know the Auckland Philharmonia says that they are too, and I respect their opinion in this matter. They're not quite, though. And so there are some materials that are done by the NDSO, some programmes, that... I don't think the Auckland Philharmonia can really do. Barbara Glasser from the Auckland Philharmonia says they've been calling for an additional $3 million for a long time, but that request has continued to fall on deaf ears. We've been saying $5 million from central government since before the current government came in, to be honest. So it's, it's not a number that's changed for a very long time, and you know, we're absolutely clear about where we need to be and, and what we need to do to get there, so, and, and what we could deliver once we were there as well. So your orchestra is 70 strong, the NZSO is 90 strong. You want to grow this into, what, 80 or 90? Do you essentially want to be the size of the NZSO? We'd love to be the size of the NZSO. I think it really does having a full body of strings permanently contracted actually allows you more flexibility and more depth in what you can do. I mean, we do, obviously, we proudly and very well do the big works as well. It doesn't stop us having a size of 70. It certainly isn't an impediment to our programming at all. It's just that we absolutely recognise we'd be better with a core size that's larger. Both the NZSO and the APO normally play to about 100,000 people each year, but not a lot of money is made at the box office and audiences aren't growing fast enough. 2010 figures show the NZSO made almost $2,010,000 from 102 concerts performed nationally and internationally. The APO performed 93 concerts in Auckland, collecting $1.5 million in ticket sales. I'm at the Michael Fowler Centre and have just 
for the last two hours listened and watched the New Zealand Symphony Orchestra perform Bold Worlds, and bold it was. But despite a fantastic show featuring the Scottish percussionist Colin Curry, I've got to say, the amount of empty seats tonight was staggering. One of the big problems is that the faithful followers of strings, wind, brass and percussion are ageing and getting the next generation interested is challenging. The NZSO chair, Donald Best, says it has introduced a pay-your-age scheme for people 35 and under and is also investigating other options. I've talked with people from other orchestras around the world and David Zinman, who conducted the NZSO, I think it was last year or the year before, who is well renowned for being music director of the Tonhalle in Zurich. He said, I asked my young teenage sons, what do we have to do to get more young people to come along to our concerts? The first thing they said was, well, the first thing you've got to do is not, not have them at 7.30 or 8 o'clock at night. Teenagers don't start going out till at least 10. So he said, after five years of deliberation in, in the Tonhalle Orchestra in Zurich, they decided to have some concerts that were 10 o'clock at night, designed to encourage young people. And he said... There was no forward booking, and he said, we lined up the first concert in, in fear and trepidation as to what the result would be, and he said the hall was full. In this performance, the orchestra performed the less well-known music by Nielsen, in this case, Symphony No. 5. Music critic John Button says many of the empty seats were probably paid for by normally faithful followers who didn't show up. Almost certainly been subscribed for and mm. paid for, and they chose not to go to the concert. And that tells you a little bit about the public, the concert-going public's reaction to programming, you know, which is a shame. I mean, it was a staggeringly fine program. And that was a reflection not on the programming, but I'm sad to say it was a reflection on the audience, reflection on our musical education, a reflection on a whole lot of things outside the concert itself. So with no increases in funding and audiences stagnant, orchestras are having to find more work outside performances. One of the more lucrative earners is in accompaniment work for both film and theatre, and the review says both the NZSO and APO need to assist city orchestras in raising the standard. In the past, services for the Royal New Zealand Ballet and New Zealand Opera were generally provided by city orchestras. The Ministry says both companies can now make the choice of the NZSO or city orchestras themselves. In the capital, the Orchestra Wellington office is a quick step away from the NZSO headquarters. Avan Tehirina is the general manager and explains why the city needs two orchestras. We cater to a very different audience. I mean, we cater to Wellington's audience. Um, the NZSO is the national orchestra. They're a touring orchestra. Um, we just happen to have them based here. Um, you know, their, their activity, they're just as active in Auckland and Christchurch as they are in Wellington. So, you know, same arguments could, could be made. Um, but, you know, I, we have a, a very distinct point of difference, and, and that has been consistent through our programming, uh, done by our music director, Mark, today. Um, and also, you know, we can be a bit more adventurous with our production. The 55-piece orchestra recently accompanied Wellington Musical Theatre's Phantom of the Opera. It collaborates with the NZSO, often swapping players when needed. In the review, it expressed concern about competition for accompaniment work from the NZSO, hungry for work because of funding pressure. It certainly was a concern. Has it been addressed? It has been addressed, and, and you know we, we certainly don't want to see any, anyone's hands being forced. 
you know, the, the opera and the ballet need to have autonomy over, over their commercial decisions, you know, and it's great to be able to see the National Opera Company and the National Ballet Company partnering with the National Orchestra. It's fantastic, and, and you know, we're, I'm personally looking, looking forward very much to seeing Flying Dutchman. It does have an, an impact on us. You know, so is that work that you would have liked? Of course. You know, it's work that we would have liked. It's work that many of our players would have liked. You know, ironically, some of our players are still getting that work um, by, by joining forces with the NZSO. The NZSO recently secured work recording the soundtrack for the second Hobbit film, The Desolation of Smog. The NZSO chair, Donald Best, says it's a brilliant and well-needed opportunity for the orchestra. I don't think it'll do us any harm. You know, all credit to Sir Peter Jackson. I mean, he clearly um, had a desire to see this Hobbit film to be 100% made in New Zealand, not, not only filmed in New Zealand, but the, the score for the, for the film um, done in New Zealand as well. And we're very grateful to his organisation for the influence which he has brought to bear on making sure that that has been achieved. So, yeah, it's, it's a great success story. It's great for New Zealand. How else could we gain that sort of exposure internationally other than through uh, a job of this type? And I'd imagine quite a good paycheck too. Uh, yes, it's useful. But it will be no easy feat for the NZSO having to find 30% of its income by 2015. The Minister for Arts, Culture and Heritage, Christopher Finlayson, says it can be done by stronger marketing. Always look on the bright side, as they said in the life of Brian. Well, I'm convinced that the NZSO brand is so good that they should be able to get out there and get corporate sponsorship and individual sponsorship. The fact of the matter is that if I was a corporate and I was invited to support the NZSO, I'd leap at it because it's such a strong artistic brand in New Zealand. And the other thing that I think they do very well, but more could be done uh, with it, is that take, for example, the, the Chicago Orchestra. I happened to see them perform over Easter, and their playbill was fascinating. Pages and pages of people. Now, sure, you've got your United Airlines and your Ford Motor Company and all that sort of thing, but you've also got thousands of people who give between, say, 500 and 1,000 a year. Now, the NZSO brand is worthy of that level of support. So perhaps do they need to market their brand stronger? I think their foundation could do more, and I think the chair is well aware of my views about my perception of the strength of their brand and what I think they're capable of achieving. The arts critic Rod Biss says too much sponsorship could destroy the essence of the NZSO and the other four orchestras. Sponsorship is not necessarily promotion, I don't think. Promotion is something which the orchestra does themselves. Too much commercial corporate sponsorship must inevitably affect the repertoire. If the government were to pump another five million in, as they have done for sports, many of the problems would be solved. But Donald Best says the NZSO music choices would never be compromised by commercial sponsorship, no matter how much it is expected to secure. I'm Nick Butcher, and that's Insight for this week. If you would like to contact us, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or send us a tweet at rnz underscore insight. I wrote and presented that program. It was produced by Philippa Tolley with technical production by Steve Burridge.